Hello, 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 everybody. It is me, Kinsey Grant, host of Thinking is Cool, and I have a fantastic episode lined up for you today. So this is, as is becoming tradition, the audio version of a video essay that first was published on my YouTube channel last week. So once again, if you want to uh, see this in its full glory, audio, visual, all that jazz, go to my YouTube channel. I will put the link in the show notes. But just so you know, this episode is a little bit of a revisitation, if you will, of a concept that we've already talked about here on Thinking is Cool. This is an updated look at the concept of champagne socialism. I have certainly changed my position. I have changed my mind. I have, as I have always told you that I wanted all of you to do, gotten more information and celebrated the fact that that information has changed my perspective. So with that in mind, I hope you will listen to this episode, enjoy, sit back, relax, think about systems of oppression and capitalism and economics and personal responsibility and all of that good stuff. And I will see you for another episode later this week. I hope you have a great one. Let's, uh, let's roll the audio version. I read a book and it got me really fired up. I read a book and it shifted my entire perspective of socialism, capitalism, personal branding, personal responsibility. I read a book and it made me wonder this. Can you have it all? No matter what people tell you, no matter what that inspirational mug on your desk says, no matter your hopes or dreams or wishes, I don't think you can have it all. Because having it all in the first place is a farce. Life is about making choices and making sacrifices, especially for the things we believe in, right? And that's what I want to talk about today, broadly speaking. More specifically though, and I bet you wonder what direction I might be taking this in, no, it is not about working mothers versus stay-at-home mothers. It's about something that I think is probably I'm gonna go out on a limb and say bigger. It's at least more complicated. We're talking today about the concept of champagne socialism, Neiman Marxism, if you will. Political fence sitting by the very, very wealthy. The very wealthy who publicly espouse incredibly progressive ideas, but privately have like, a private island and maybe don't pay taxes or probably definitely don't pay taxes and maybe also don't pay their rent despite their Bernie 2020 paraphernalia and that millionaire status. Maybe now it is time that I mention that this is the book in question that shifted everything for me. My Body by Emily Retikowski. Emrata for her fans. I am just as shocked as you are that a book written by an Instagram influencer and model has been the catalyst for me totally dismantling my ideas of economic responsibility, personal responsibility, and the body politic in general, but here we are. It has rendered me obsessed with this idea of champagne socialism. In many ways, I see this idea of champagne socialism as a reaction to this very big, very oppressive one-two punch. We're talking unfathomable political polarization happening at the same time as unfathomable inequality. Throw a little bit of personal branding, which we talked about last week, into the mix, and you have the perfect storm for, if I may say so myself, the perfect episode. My name is Kinsey Grant. Welcome to Thinking is Cool, the show where I ask big questions about the internet and capitalism and things like this. Should you believe Emily Ratajkowski when she, an influencer and model, rejects capitalism? And then we all together think about the answers because thinking is cool and so are you. So with that, let's get things started. Now I want to start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start um, because I think it's important to set the table here when we're talking about champagne socialism. I've had the idea for this episode knocking around between my ears for literally months now. Um, in November, I read this book, My Body. I was 
infuriated on one page and totally sympathetic on the next. It was a really confusing book for me. But chief among my takeaways from my body is this idea that Emily Ratajkowski falls into a group of people that I think we could fairly call champagne socialists. So I'm about to roll a voice memo that I made on my phone in November of 2021 as I was reading this book. What if, you know, we always say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but what if there's also no ethical production under capitalism? I'm saying this as I read the introduction to Emily Ratajkowski's book, My Body. It's a book of essays about, well, her body mostly. Um, and she speaks pretty in pretty defined terms in the introduction about capitalizing on her body in, hold on, let me pull it up real quick. Um, I've capitalized on my body within the confines of a cis-hetero-capitalist patriarchal world, one in which beauty and sex appeal are valued solely through the satisfaction of the male gaze. If we are profiting off of systemic beliefs or understandings that we have about the world around us that power production and consumption is participating in that production just as bad as participating in that consumption. Clearly, I had some thoughts. But I also want to share with you how Emily describes herself in the book. Emily Ratajkowski is an acclaimed model and actor, an engaged political progressive, a formidable entrepreneur, global social media phenomenon, and now a writer. Political progressive. Hmm. Now that is the same Emily Ratajkowski who is famous for, and I use this word very purposefully, capitalizing on her appearance. And I can't say I blame her. I mean, we all capitalize on what the good Lord gave us, whether that is a silly body or a loud mouth and pretty decent articulation. We do the best we can with what we have. But at what point in doing those things are those of us who take issue with capitalism feeding it instead of fighting it? Can we justify being incredibly wealthy but also believing in a wealth tax? Can we justify sending our kids to the very best private schools on either coast but also believing in universal pre-K? Can we justify calling a friend to get an appointment at the very best doctor in town but also believing the healthcare should be free for everybody? Can we, as I said at the top, have it all. I was just so rattled by Emily Ratajkowski's apparent justification of her wealth in this book, which by the way appears to be somewhere in the six to eight million dollar range if we're talking net worth, that I began really, really thinking about what it means to be an unruly or at least unwilling cog in the capitalist wheel. If this capitalism is the set of circumstances that were handed, is there really truly any means of dismantling these circumstances to build something better while also living a comfortable life? Can rich people, or even people in the mythical disappearing middle class, put their faith in anything other than capitalism? Let's think about it. We're talking champagne socialism, its potential hypocrisy, and of course the roles that we can all play in engineering something that is much better than what we have right now, richer or poorer. It is entirely possible that I'm getting ahead of myself, so before the comments go bananas with calls of Kinsey Grant, you business owner and person who loves to make money have had drinking the, the sickly sweet socialist Kool-Aid, let's set some things straight. There are a specific set of words that I think have been unfairly maligned in our political theater in the United States. Among those words, socialism, capitalism. And I want to get to the bottom of what these words mean because outside of what the media tells us and what these big packs tell us about how bad they are, they are just words, words with definitions. So to best understand champagne socialism and what it means for all of us, let's start with some word definitions, definition. We're starting with a big one, 
capitalism. And I'm again turning to another of the uh, roster on my nightstand lately. This is How to Be an Anti-Capitalist in the 21st Century by Eric Olin Wright. On page three, you can see what is capitalism. So I'm going to read it. What is capitalism? Like many concepts used in everyday life and in scholarly work, there are many different ways of defining capitalism. For many people, capitalism is the equivalent of a market economy, an economy in which people produce things to be sold to other people through voluntary agreements. Others add the word free before market, emphasizing that capitalism is an economy in which market transactions are minimally regulated by the state. And still, others emphasize that capitalism is not just characterized by markets, but also by the private ownership of capital. <laughs> capital. Sociologists, especially those influenced by the Marxist tradition, typically also add this to the idea that capitalism is characterized by a particular kind of class structure, one in which the people who actually do the work in an economy, the working class, do not themselves own the means of production. This implies at least two basic classes in the economy, capitalists who own the means of production and workers who provide labor as employees. So that's capitalism. That's all you need to know. Video over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's just the beginning. Let's turn now to champagne socialism. Um, turns out this label is actually more commonly used in the UK, but I am starting a petition to use it more in the US because I think it's just brilliant. I mean it to be a descriptor of the kinds of people who espouse very anti-capitalist ideas, but also take part in some deeply rooted capitalist traditions. People like Emily Ratajkowski, who grapples immensely and very, very publicly with the ideas of, of inequality and unfairness and rash judgment and patriarchy, but also benefits financially and reputationally from carving out that brand for herself. I've seen it described as, quote, egalitarians living in luxury while denouncing the evils of inequality. Now, next up, I want to get to one that can be traditionally very sticky, and this is the idea of democratic socialism. So when we consider ideas like champagne socialism, they're inevitably followed by comments like go back to your commie country, you commie, or like ship her off to Russia or something like that. But I think those comments fail to recognize that we're not talking about communism when we say democratic socialism. And again, this is not an endorsement of any political system. I just think these are some important things to know. Democratic socialism, it's rooted in the, the democratic part, the democratic process, the idea that people have self-determination and should be able to have some say in what happens in their country. It's not authoritarianism. I'll read this from Time. American politicians today who are associated with democratic socialism generally favor New Deal-style programs, believing that government is a force for good in people's lives and that a large European-style welfare state can exist in a capitalist society. They generally support ideas such as labor reform and pro-union policies, tuition-free public universities and trade schools, universal health care, federal jobs programs, fair taxation that closes loopholes that the wealthiest citizens have found, and using taxes on the rich and corporations to pay for social welfare programs." End quote. That's it? Not so bad, was it? So that's a bit more of the what, but I want to spend some time now talking about the why, specifically the why now. There's a reason that the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, had membership of like 6,000 people in the summer of 2016 and now have membership of over 92,000 people in America. I think there's also a reason that we see a lot more celebrities come out as supporters of famous Democratic Socialists like Bernie Sanders. Cardi B, Lizzo, Jack Nicholson, Jeff Koons, Ariana Grande, they all publicly supported his run for president. We're also seeing an explosion of things like Chapo Trap House, these media 
media properties that are very radically leftist that people are just eating up. And I'm probably not going to be the first to show you this. The Bernie bro. Go to Brooklyn on any given Saturday and pfft, you'll find plenty of them. I have to wonder in some ways if this new wave of democratic socialists is powered a little bit by reactionary politics. Reactionary politics magnified by a gaping intergenerational divide. Perhaps by frustration with the status quo, by the need to do something new. I think it's a little bit of all of that. I wonder though what comes of this cultural renaissance of the democratic socialist standard bearers like AOC, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Believe it or not, there actually was a golden age of capitalism in the decades post-World War II. According to plenty of very smart people, systems functioned really, really well. Inequality wasn't the problem that it is today. Small bits of nationalization and state-owned businesses were cropping up all over the place, and people were just fine. No one's head exploded. Until, of course, it did. Which brings us to the Red Scare. So pressed were people like Joe McCarthy that they went to incredible lengths to prove that communism roved the halls of Senate and was on every movie lot in Hollywood. And it was coming to America to ruin your children and take all of your money. It was a fear tactic campaign and it literally ruined people's lives. I think that actually might be <laughs> the historic precedent that they, they teach you about in school when you learn what a witch hunt is. A campaign based on fear to persecute people for believing in something something that wasn't the status quo. Does that sound very American to you? And the better question, do we really want to do that again? It would seem yes is the answer. Because it feels like with the Ted Cruz of it all, that's what we're headed toward again. The DSA isn't some agent of a communist state, but if we're to believe modern lawmakers, Yes, they are. But that's because today's lawmakers are not interested in lawmaking. They're more interested in getting their slimy paws around some viral moment. A viral moment that directly interferes with their responsibilities as lawmakers and elected officials. They want Cruzism, DeSantisism, McConnellism, just like Joe McCarthy had McCarthyism. I guess in some ways we're all a little bit just reacting to each other. Now that's partially because of those slimeball lawmakers that I just mentioned, um, but it's also partially because we live in a world where everybody has to have a take on everything all of the time. And those takes can be parlayed as cultural relevance, as community building tactics. And there we have it, the perfect segue to talk about political fence sitting in the form of champagne socialism. Now let's start with just some information, no context required, that I think you should know. Emily Ratajkowski does not pay rent, or at least she did not pay rent for a brief time. According to her former landlord, Ratajkowski and her producer husband misused a state loft law meant to help starving artists to not pay $160,000 in rent over the course of two years. And the two were actually paid to finally leave the building. It came down to that. Second bit of information. Hassan Piker, the famed Twitch streamer and perhaps more famous online socialist, actually has a $2.7 million home in Los Angeles. Senator Elizabeth Warren has a net worth of about $10 million. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wore a custom designer dress emblazoned with the words tax the rich to the Met Gala, to which she was invited. Now these people are just a handful of, I think some, some pretty glaring examples of the ways that the very wealthy engage in uh, so-called Neiman Marxism, suggesting to their potential fans on the internet that while they have a champagne budget, they've got beer taste, they're rooting for the little guy. You, little guy. We often call these people hypocrites. 
but why? For a second, I want us to put aside the idea that you get this unchangeable personal brand the second that you publicly identify with any sort of political faction. What if we stopped thinking about the Bernie bros for being Bernie bros and instead tried to understand their belief systems? What are the values of somebody who's a member of the DSA? What are the values of a conservative person? What are the values of any singular individual? Now, I have to be totally honest, when I first read My Body, I thought to myself, now here is a woman with not one ounce of self-awareness. What hypocrisy that somebody like Emily Ratajkowski, who has made a living and made her own brand off of participating in capitalism as a model, how could she critique the system? How could she say that capitalism wasn't working when it was so clearly working for her? But the more I think about champagne socialism and the ideas of people like Emily Ratajkowski, the more I realize that that initial judgment was not only unfair, it was really harsh. I mean, think about somebody like Hassan Piker, for example. He has to be as progressive as the internet will tolerate. It's part of his personal brand. But he also has to make money. And if making that money means that he gets to go home at the end of the day to a fancy pool, is that really that bad? We want to fix things so that the government works for everybody. But do we have to forfeit making that government work for us personally to do so? It's also drawn pretty stark criticism, this idea of champagne socialism. And I think that the most potent of that criticism centers around the idea that anybody who has anything in excess can't decry systems of inequality. Uh, one of the, the most misguided examples that I've run across a lot is that Bernie Sanders has a second home that's worth about $565,000 and people are constantly saying, well, why doesn't he just sell that second home and give the money to poor people? I see the attempt at logic there, uh, but I want to spend some time talking about why that is an attempt that is made in vain. Why Emrata actually might not be a hypocrite, at least on this front. The idea that one person's actions can fix what has been a state-sanctioned system of inequality for centuries is simply ludicrous. We've made what's very obviously a political issue a moral one. A moral issue that is won and lost among individuals, instead of doing what we should be doing, which is, quite frankly, putting the responsibility back on the people we elect into office to fix these things in the first place. I made an episode about champagne socialism back when I was a lowly podcast-only host, and at that time, I considered what I thought to be the moral failings of the very wealthy. That was literally in the episode title. I considered it a moral failure to be a political fence-sitter. But I think today that that might have been an unfair generalization to make. Inequality in America has been labeled a moral issue for so long that I truly think we have just really lost the plot here. Inequality exists not because you forgot to mail in your Goodwill donation last month. Inequality exists in large part because hundreds of years ago a bunch of white dudes decided on capitalism and nobody thought to second-guess that. They decided on this system, and today we are facing the repercussions. Both good and bad. It's not the morality or the lack thereof on behalf of the very wealthy that make people in this country poor. It's the country itself. It's ironic, perhaps is the word, that Emily Ratajkowski calls for the end of this patriarchal capitalist system while very clearly benefiting from it. But I think it's also perhaps an indictment on all of us that we find the room to dog her so harshly for doing that. Instead of holding systems accountable, we want to hold the author of this book of essays accountable. And by we, I of course am including myself. I, I did this. I am, I am guilty. We turn to individuals when we want accountability, when we should really be turning to collective systems. It's the systems that need the most fixing. This ultimately comes down to individual solutions versus systemic solutions. Structural ideas versus individual actions. Ideologies 
political belief systems, individual actions, they all overlap and they all blend into each other, sure, but I think it can be really reductive to lump them all together. These can be separate entities. If I had skipped college, would that have solved the student debt crisis? If I never went to the dentist again, would that mean that my neighbor who doesn't have healthcare could get it? Probably not. I mean, these are small examples, but I think they illustrate the larger picture here. When we think about issues like systemic inequality, this giant wealth gap, we're not talking about changing it with the actions of one singular individual. We're talking about changing the entire system itself. Now, of course, there is a caveat here and this applies to you, Jeff Bezos. Jeff, I'm so sorry, I know I need to return your text, um, but individual responsibility and collective action are very different ideas, but individual responsibility is something that takes on an entirely new meaning when you are invited to the Met Gala or like to the moon in a Blue Origin spaceship. The truth is this, the system in which we operate is imperfect and imperfectly designed. Can we fix the system from inside? Can Bernie Sanders pay an effective tax rate of 26% while campaigning that he should be taxed at a 40% rate? Can criticism and participation coexist? Yeah, I think they can. And to say that they can't is to sell ourselves short. I mean, aren't we more dynamic than that? So instead of charging singular individuals with the responsibility of like waving their magic rich person wand and fixing every problem that we've ever had, while also maintaining a perfectly pristine progressive record themselves, what if we recognized instead that personal and structural changes can happen at the same time? They don't necessarily have to happen in lockstep, but they can coexist. A lot of the critiques around Emily Ratajkowski's book centered on this idea that she wasn't or isn't willing to change her personal behavior to change the system. She doesn't want to give up what makes her famous in exchange for a better world, allegedly. One such critique comes from Sarah Manavis in The New Statesman. I'll read it for you. Quote, My body is part of a trend of politically engaged, supposedly anti-capitalist writing. Though the distance between Ratajkowski's underestimations of her own power and the enormous amount she actually wields is unique, similar fallacies abound in other works. Many modern essayists, including Gia Tolentino or Anne Helen Peterson, acknowledge the systems at play, but stop short of considering any action that might address or resist them. This approach is almost always highly personal and often concludes with the writer actively continuing to participate in capitalist systems. In the essay, Because Hello, Halle Berry, Ratajkowski shows her husband a screenshot on her phone that reads, Fuck capitalism, but until it's fucked, keep getting that bag. End quote. But are we really in any position to throw stones? I most certainly am not. As I come to you with my ideas about capitalism and celebrity actively participating in one, and if we're being quite frank, pursuing the other, in my current position, I'm happy to readily acknowledge systems at play. I can consider my own actions that might address or resist them, but that's as far as I can go. I'm a voter, I'm a loudmouth, I'm a person with a megaphone. These are my individual contributions, but I'm not the old white dude who decided that this was the way that things are going to go. So until I find myself in a position of power analogous to the old white dudes who decided on capitalism all those years ago, I will continue to, as many of my cultural critics have put it, fall short of really doing anything. Or so they say. I say differently.